And I know I'm looking forward to Easter Sunday when I'm hopefully going to see what God has been doing over the last month of bringing people into his kingdom of, of families being united in, in, in salvation and the gospel. Uh, and, and God being at work and moving is just an amazing thing. And we, that's because you've been praying. That's because they've been praying. That's because we're asking the Lord, this very nature, thy will be done. And when we think about the will of God, we're reminded that, um, I see the clicker is, uh, ah, there we go. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Last week I spoke about the kingdom of God and cultivating kingdom principles within the garden of our lives. This week, I said I was going to preach on uh, give us this day our daily bread, but I, I got drawn to this idea that your will be done. This is the most important prayer you can pray within your life. And it is the most dangerous prayer you can pray within your life. Thy will be done. When we grapple with the will of God, it is something quite profound and something quite uh, remarkable. Because we know that every one of us, as Shane said about workplace, wherever we work, whether it's in a service industry, whether it's in a factory, whether it's in a store, whether it's in education, whether we own our own business, we are all called and we are all on the mission of the Lord. Wherever you find yourself in the home with your children raising, homeschooling or or picking them up from the school gate, you are on mission and the Lord desires to use you. But calling and his will is working this out and holding tight to the will of God is one of the hardest things that we have to do as Christians. Say, why? Why is it hard? Well, the reason it is incredibly hard to live this verse, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The reason it is incredibly hard is because, is because it is a paradigm shift within the way that we view our life. Because what we're actually saying is, I hand control over to God, my Father, who is in heaven. This is hard. We're actually saying, God, you're in control. God, you're number one. Lord, I really want you to take over my life. Oh boy, do we, um, do we like to rule our own lives? And isn't this counterintuitive to the human rights of the culture that we live in? Nobody has any right to tell me what to think, what to do with my life, with my body. Nobody has any right to do that. Get off your soapbox and stop preaching to me because I have my will and my individual way of thinking about it. This is what people think, isn't it? Don't. Don't tell me what to do. Now, I'm a, I like to preach. I'm a preacher. I, uh, I went to London when I was 15, just after I was converted with my grandparents to look around museums and have a week in London. And, and my grandfather said to me, Philip, I said, yes, what would you like to do this afternoon? He spoke like this, you see. I said, uh, he had a moustache, he was in the RAF. I said, Pops, because that's what I call him, you may say Oprah and whatever, although that's... 
And, and, and I, said, I said, Pops, I would like to um, go to Hyde Park. Why, why on earth do you want to go there? Because there's a spot there called Hyde Park Corner where anybody is allowed to preach about anything. And I want to go and preach. They even provide soap boxes for you. And through the decades in that corner, you can go there in London, there are people jump on the soapbox and they preach about anything. Well, of course, I jumped on the soapbox and I preached about the work of Jesus and the cross. And then my granddad was there looking at me. He's not a Christian, a little bit strange. And I was preaching at him only. (laughs) I was on my soapbox. And there were other groups, you know, Islamic groups and this group and atheist groups, all on their soapboxes. And I was there, quite a uh, 15 years old with blonde flowing hair and preaching. And I mean, it wasn't the greatest sermon. I mean, he would have been, what, about 56 then. And I led him to the Lord when he was 92. So that sermon did not work. A lot of prayer and intercession worked. But we hate the idea of people telling us what to do in our culture. But this is different. Why do we hate it? Why do we hate thy will be done in our culture? And how should we be as Christians? Well, first of all, we say the reason we dislike it is because we're afraid of losing ourselves in God. We're afraid that when we submit our will totally to God, then what actually happens that within our life, we realize, oh, I'm going to lose myself in God. I'm going to be assimilated like some kind of, I don't know, 1980s episode of Star Trek when the Christian Borg come in and I'm going to be assimilated into this person and I'm going to lose myself. I'm going to lose my life. I'm going to lose my creativity. I'm going to lose who I am. And the battle is my will be done or thy will be done. That's the battle. Another person might say, well, you know, Thy will be done is such a hard thing because of what, what I have to experience. It's a little bit like the medicine your grandmother used to give you. Remember when grandmothers used to dispense medicines? Um, you know, come here, this is good for you. Oil, drink this down. Mm. Hold your nose, yes? Now grandmothers don't carry medicine, they carry fragrances in their bags and... Come here, let me rub a fragrance on you. It's a little bit better, uh, though probably snake oil. Uh, but, <laughs> I joke. Cheeky joke there. But I hold my nose and somehow the will of God is like a medicine we have to swallow that we don't like. Or maybe what happens if we clash with God? My will, his will, car crash. We clash. It's just dangerous, isn't it? It's just dangerous connecting with the will of God and working with the will of God and having the will of God at work because I'm afraid of it. Well, can I say, first of all, that when you surrender to the will of God, you do not lose your life, but you find your life. 
When you surrender to the will of God, what happens in your life is that the God that creates you knows you very best and God creates the person that you are meant to be and should be because you were made in the image of God. Secondly, when we come to God, it is not a medicine that will hurt us. It is the, it is the gift of God that brings healing and life to who we are. It is not a car crash or a clash between you and God only when you choose to be in rebellion or within sin. It is the free highway of which God has called you to travel on. You fear not because God has this. God holds it. God is with you. It is a tough world. It is full of pain. It is full of battle. It is full of challenges. It is full of trials. But the greatest way that a Christian can live his life is to know this reality, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I surrender it to the will. Say, but you know, Phil, I feel pretty qualified to rule my own life. I'm pretty qualified. How qualified are you? Who is the most qualified person to run your life? Is it you? So yeah, well, which version of you? Is it the 10-year-old version of you? If I was running my life and this world at 10-year-old and I had extreme power to choose anything at 10 years old, I probably would have a thousand G.I. Joes. I'd give ice cream free to the world and, and it would be a complete nonsense. Well, what about the teenage version of me? <laughs> I don't think so. (laughs) Or the teenage version of you to rule your life. What about me in my 20s and 30s? Self-assured, slight bit of arrogance, bit of egotistical, bit of this. I don't know. I'm trying to work myself out. What about now? I'm qualified, God, to run all my affairs. (laughs) I feel less qualified at 50 than I did at 15. Because the reason is, is because you and I know that the only beautiful way to live our lives is to bow our knee and to surrender it to thy will be done. So who is the most qualified person to lead you and to guide you and to be with you through the toughest of times. The most qualified person, thy will be done, is the one that reigns in heaven, the God that put the billion stars in the sky, the God that created this world and the God that gave breath to humanity and the God that loves you and cares for you. God knows best about your life and my life. So I've got to stop going, my will be done, but thy will be done. There's this verse in, um, in Proverbs, Proverbs 3. You, you know this verse. And um, as we look at it for a moment. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. You see, the will of God starts with this idea of trusting God. Trusting God in every detail. Not leaning upon our own knowledge, not leaning upon our own ability, but saying, Lord, I trust you. 
In all your ways, submit to him and he will make your path straight. In all your ways, submit to him. Offer. This is really, if we read these verses so often that we forget the power of these verses. In all your ways, submit him. If you were to literally interpret this in the Hebrew, it says, be so close to God in intimacy and honesty that you are telling God everything about your life. Everything. It's an intimate relationship where you've got God working with you and that intimacy is at work. So thy will be done starts with an intimacy. And when we have an intimacy, he will make your path straight. Literally, that means God will cut through the rock, cut through the rubble, cut through the problems. And when you submit your life to him, he will make a path that is straight for you. And he will bulldoze it, cut it, JCB it. He will move and he will work and he will be powerful. In your life. So what I discover is if I'm intimate with him about the very details of my existence. Then God comes and he guides my life. And he makes a path through the wilderness and the darkness and the pain of this world. God makes that path through it. He makes a path that is straight. That is correct. That is there. Do not be wise in your own eyes. That's the biggest battle. That we trust our wisdom rather than God's wisdom. And that we should shun evil. And you know I believe in this utterly. That we need to keep a short account. That we need to confess our sins. That we need to be specific and directive towards the sin that is in our lives, towards the bad attitudes. We need to confess our sins. We need to ask God to forgive us. So there's this cycle by which I'm intimate with him. He guides me in will and he makes a straight path for my life and he is present. I move away from my own wisdom and at the then... I choose to shun sin in my life, which keeps the wheel moving. There's a really interesting verse after this. It says, this will, this will, so you've done all of that. This will bring health to your body and nourishment to your bones. Very difficult verse to to theologically unpack there for some interpreters because it actually literally Means and God will bring health and strength into your bones through your umbilical cord of who you are because your umbilical cord is connected to the glory of God and the will of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And when you live according to His will, it nourishes your body. How many people? have anxiety-related illnesses because they're stressed out of their minds. The percentage is shocking. It's well over 50%, 60%, that things like loneliness, and, and governments are now appointing loneliness ministers. Can you believe it? 
that nations are appointing ministers responsible for loneliness in government. Because loneliness and stress and anxiety creates sickness within society. You will never be lonely. You will never be alone. You will never know that deep sense of loneliness when you have the Lord as your Lord and Saviour. And when you do and submit your will, rather my will, to God's will, it nourishes your body. I could do with a bit of nourishing. I could do with my inner bones. Hebrews says his word divides from the bone and the marrow. In other words, God gets to the heart of the issue and deals with who we are. There's a lot of debate about the will of God. Theologians, they love this. There's two great theologians who both taught at Dallas Seminary in Texas, one of the great institutions. There's Gary Friesen. He wrote a book on the wisdom of God, 400 pages packed with theology. Guaranteed to send you asleep sometimes. (laughs) Dallas Willard on the other side. uh, Again, prolific writer. Takes sentences to make a point. Incredible. Dallas Willard. And they battle with each other, these theologians. It's like... Here they are, and this is what theology is about, critiquing each other, talking to each other about these points. You see, Gary Friesen, who's now teaching in Rwanda, brilliant theologian, argues that if we were to do a seminar about the will of God, which is true, I know this theologically, that there are three areas concerning the will of God. There is the sovereign will of God, there is the moral will of God, and there's the individual will of God theologically. Let me give you this. Sovereign will of God is when God sovereignly moves within your life. The sovereign moments. The work of the cross was a sovereign moment. The work of salvation in your life when Christ called you is a sovereign moment. You were dead in your sin. You had dead in your faith. Dead in the work of Adam. And yet God sovereignly called you. You were born again, saved And suddenly you became alive in Christ, right? Sovereign will moment. And then we have moral will. There are, through the scriptures, we have the moral will that we know that there are some things we don't need to pray about because we know that God has already spoken about them. Um, we don't need to, to pray about it. In Christian orthodoxy, of course, we believe avidly in the sanctity of marriage and we believe that, that sex before marriage is wrong. So for a Christian to say, well, uh, should I live with my partner before I get married or not? I just want to pray about that to see what God has to say about it. You go, whoa, no, 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 no. Scripture is clear on his moral will, that you are to act that way. Should I steal from this store? No, no, no. Moral will is there in Scripture. And then there's individual will, where God speaks to you and God works with you. And Friesen argues that actually all that we have is in the Bible. We have the sovereign will, we have the moral will, and we do not need the individual will because Basically, we've got the Bible and that is that. Therefore, just use the Bible to get on with the will of God. Of course, Dallas Willard argues with him and says, no, 
The reason he says no is because the Bible itself teaches that God speaks outside of the Bible. He speaks through creation. He speaks through signs and wonders that make us wonder and draw us to God. He speaks through those God instances. He speaks through those promptings. He speaks through that quiet, still whisper of the Lord speaking into our heart. So these theologians, they they deuce it out. I love Friesen because of his high regard of Scripture and that you submerge yourself in Scripture and you grow in Scripture and you use Scripture. And if you know anything about me, you want to hear the voice of God, be a person who submerges their life in Scripture, Scripture, Scripture. But I can't land there with Friesen completely. Why? Because I know the intimacy of the prompting of the voice of God. I know his whisper. I know his closeness. I know his intimacy that comes. A sad week at Willow Park Church. Our dear friend and brother, as many of you will know, has been ill for a while. Uh, Clarence, Clarence Stefan, he went to be with the Lord. When and uh, visited him on Wednesday, as many of you have done, nothing unusual there, but took communion and took, it was lovely. I said, I'll pop back in sometime on Thursday, thinking the end of the day at five or six o'clock to, to pray again with him. And I just finished my 11.30 appointment and I'm sat there in my office and I've got an appointment with Pastor Curtis to talk about a few issues and I thought, Oh, I've got to go to the hospital right now. And my other meeting had drifted on a little bit. And, um, and I looked at the clock and it was now 10 to, 10 to 12. And uh, I went down and got Curtis. I said, we're going to have a meeting, aren't we? He said, yes. I said, drive me to the hospital. Let's talk as we go. So we jumped in his, his rackety old vehicle. He's, um, he's an old country and western star. And, um, and everything feels like the road to Kansas. And, and we drove down to the hospital, parked up. And he does, a, as, as we all do, visitations regularly. And uh, parked in the kind of visitation spot and, and walked in. And walked into the room and the family was so wonderful and holding on to the Lord and it was, it was lovely. And it's always useful to have a worship pastor with you. He started songs and started to sing. We read psalms and within 10 minutes of arriving, Clarence departed this world to be greeted by the love of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it was glorious, friends. I couldn't lose that intimacy, that prompting in my life where the Holy Spirit whispers and said, talk to that person, go to that person, go to that. Let the theologians duke it out. But I know that I need the word of God coursing through my spiritual veins and I need that. But I also need the intimacy, the relationship. I don't always hear his voice. I often miss it. Often he's quiet for periods of time. But I know that his whisper is there. An atheistic young man, son of an atheist. Well, you know what impressed me the most? Wasn't the fact that I could become a Christian and just read a book. 
It was I could become a Christian. And you know what they kept saying to me? In that little Plymouth Brethren youth group, Jesus Christ becomes your friend. That's what they preached. What I discovered was that for many Christians, Jesus isn't their friend. Jesus is their third cousin removed living in Manitoba. And, and somehow you've lost him. I can lose him. But they can, and it was that, that as a lost soul with no Christian heritage, it was the reality that Jesus is my friend. He walks with me. He talks with me. Oh, yeah. He's my friend. And so we pray, thy will be done. Because God knows best. We look for that intimacy and that closeness. But the most powerful thing about that, thy will be done, is learning how to pray with something that I like to call praying without opinion. Because to say thy will be done is to say my opinion doesn't matter in this. Thy will be done. But we really like our opinions, don't we? We can pray very opinionated. I don't know about you, but I'm good at this. I have the gift of praying with opinion. It's not a good gift. John Wesley's wife, even the great John Wesley, struggled with this area of praying with opinion. He'd pray for 30 minutes for a prime minister to become prime minister in Britain. And then she'd pray for another 30 minutes and another prime minister. And then they didn't speak to each other for a year. <laughs> True story. But the, uh, for me, it's saying, Lord, I lay down my expectations. I lay down my will. I lay down my way. And I say, Lord, I surrender my opinion and I want you to come and thy will be done. I don't know how you're going to do it. I'd like to run it myself, but I feel unqualified to run my life. So therefore, I learn to pray in the most deep mature Christian way, which is to pray without opinion and to pray, God, do it. What is your heart? What is your desire? What do you desire to do? Help me to pray without prejudice. Help me to pray without my will being done. Help me to pray sensing what is heaven's will, what is heaven's heart, what is God's way and connecting divinely and surrendering my own opinionated ways and saying, I want Christ to be functional Lord over my life. Boy, friends, that's Christian maturity. When you bow the knee and you're praying for something, but you don't know how God's going to do it, but God's going to do it. Well, we're praying for revival in Kelowna. How's God going to do it? Well, I've got my opinions. He's going to do it one way, through Willow Park Church. That's my opinion. I'd be very upset if he chose any other church. But he says, come on, Phil. Get on your knees. I will choose 
how to win the city to Christ. You just be an avenue for God's glory to flow through. Let this revival be fueled on your prayers. See, I was part of a group of churches in Britain in the 80s. We launched something called Make Way, the March for Jesus. Do you remember that? Make way, make way, marching through the cities. We launched a band called Delirious. You may have heard of them. We launched a movement called 24-7 Prayer all over the world. They were dynamic, independent, Anabaptist, spirit-filled churches, much like our own. Looking for God to work and to move in our nation. And we believed that God had called us as a group of churches to pray for revival in our nation. And we'd gather in the centre of London day after day, week after week, weekend after weekend, driving from all over the country to a a large hall of over 2,000 people. And we'd pray all weekend and revival. It went on for months and months into years. And we all had the idea how God was going to bring revival (laughs) through us. The Anglican church was in a mess. The archbishop was a watery liberal. Nothing was happening. The average size of a church in Britain was 50 people. Nobody was coming to Christ. Evangelists were redundant. They were becoming pastors. It was redundant. And we prayed and prayed and prayed. And who would have believed it? That God would use an Anglican church in the centre of London called Holy Trinity and a little nicely spoken English person would start to teach something called Alpha. And then a number of years later, 250,000 English people gave their lives to Jesus as a result of Alpha. Who would have believed it? See, that wasn't my plan. And then two million. And what, 75,000 people did Alpha in Canada alone last year. And I'm like, we'd go, well, we never expected that. Growing Anglican churches, Alpha all over. In my opinion, God should have done it another way. Probably through our churches. But God chose the vehicle he chose to move. And then the Lord whispered to me, oh, I did move in revival in your church. How many alpha groups did you run in the last five years? Well, back then, I was running four a year and leading dozens of people to Christ. And the Lord whispered and said, see, the revival came to you. It's come here as well, hasn't it? Who knows? There's many factors. It's not just because of a group of churches praying, but it's a factor in it. I have my opinion, and God has his opinion, but I'll tell you who's going to win. Not my will, but thy will. And it means for each one of us in our lives, the way that we pray, the way that we seek God, the way that we surrender. And, and this is the most deepest, profound thing in our Christian life. That even though life 
And believe me, this world is dark, this world is sick, this world is crumbling. We are travellers in this world en route to his coming glory. But let me tell you, the deepest moment of your Christian walk is when you give up, let go, and you let God do it. You let go and let God. Thy will be done. Not my will, but thy will. Thy will be done. And so, Father in heaven, we trust ourselves with you. Father in heaven, we humble ourselves before you now and we hand over our wills. We pray, Lord, that you will help us to not try and live in our own opinion and prejudice, but we may live in the opinion of the glory of heaven and the will of God at work in our lives. Help us, Lord, I pray. Just for a moment as you search your hearts. Maybe you've been living my will, not thy will. And this morning it's time for you to change sides. It's time for you to give up your will and step into thy will. As that young lady did with her lovely family last night. She stepped over the line And said, I'd always believed, but I'd never surrendered. I've always knew it, but I never surrendered. And every one of us, we need to surrender again and again and again to thy will be done. That's why we pray the Lord's Prayer. But you may not be a believer this morning or you may be distant from God and this morning you don't even know why you turned up here. You don't even know why you woke up early and decided to get in your car and there's 80 evangelical churches to choose from in this city and you wandered into this one. And you find yourself listening to this English guy who's telling you and it's like he's on a soapbox. But you're saying, oh, you know what? I want to find myself, not lose myself. I want to find salvation. I want to rededicate my life if I'm lost. If I'm the lost son, the lost coin, the lost sheep. I want the treasure of knowing thy will. That's you for a moment. As the Christians, I hope, are doing some serious between the bone and the marrow work in their spiritual lives about the will of God and surrendering to the will of God. It's time for you to come home to God. Pray this prayer if you want to give your life to Jesus. If you want to get right with God right now, it goes like this. Dear Lord Jesus, Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. 
And I know that I've been living my will. Know that I've been living my will. Not thy will. I know, Lord, that I am the Lord of my own life. But this morning I choose to make you Lord of my life. As you gave yourself for me on the cross, as you gave yourself for me on the cross, I give myself to you. Forgive me for living my will, not thy will. Forgive me, Lord. As every head's bowed and I'm not going to embarrass you, I'm not going to make you feel uncomfortable. But if you prayed that prayer this morning to shift from my will to thy will or you're a prodigal coming home or you're a lost soul that's saying, I want Jesus, then right for this moment, just raise your hand. By raising your hand saying, Pastor Phil, pray for me. God bless you. I give my whole life back to you. God bless. Just raise your hand and say yes. Anybody in the balcony? I can see up there as well, you know. Just raise your hand. Say yes, God bless you, sir. God bless you. Anybody else? The balcony is full of prayer warriors praying for our church. Father, I pray for these that you are calling right now. I pray for all of us that we may live fully in you and just know your love and your grace flowing through our lives in Jesus' name. For those that you are reaching and saving, do a divine sovereign work this morning in Jesus' name. Amen.